HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. Since 2009, HRN podcasts have been exploring the wide world of food, beverage, and agriculture. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network since 2009. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. We talk about food. We talk about music. With musical dudes. Finger on the pulse. Snacky tunes. Hello, welcome to Snacky Tunes. I'm your host, Darren Bresnitz. This week, I make my way to Manhattan to chat with Chef Amelie Kang about her delicious dry pot restaurant, Mala Project. She's on the verge of opening up a new location in Greenpoint, and she shares her stories of growing up in Tangshan, China, making her way to the CIA in New York, and how Grandma still knows best in the kitchen. And then it's a dip into the archives when Dead Stars visited the HRN Shipping Container Studio to play some songs, talk about their new EP from 2013, High Grain, and then share what they like to eat on the road. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy Snacky Tunes here on Heritage Radio Network.
Amelie, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thanks for sitting down with us. Always great to check in with people from New York City. One of my favorite towns to eat in. Thank you and uh, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Sure, thanks for having me. Uh, I was reading about you and uh, read that you grew up in Tangshan, China. You mm-hmm. talked a lot about your grandma and your parents cooking a lot. What do you remember about their food and what did it meant to have home-cooked meals growing up? Yeah, my grandma, she has she had an outdoor kitchen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember so vividly growing up, standing on the little stool and trying to <laughs> watch whatever she's doing. And she has um, um, this... She just has one stove where uh, it's a Chinese wok stove, um, mm-hmm. you know, obviously one cleaver, and she does everything with that one knife and one wok. Um, all of a sudden, she cooks a meal for like six people in the family within 30 minutes. Love it. Love it. Um, yeah, it's definitely, I, it, it feels like magic. And <laughs> I remember, um, actually, I forgot about this, but my grandma reminded me when I was younger, when they asked me what my dream would be. And I, I used to say I wanted to be a food critic. Uh, mm. I hadn't forgotten about this. And then after I opened the restaurants, they said, oh, your dream come true. <laughs> so how, how long or how old were you when you went from just a watcher to actually cooking in the kitchen? And was it something you wanted to do or was it, okay, you're old enough. It's, it's part of your chores. Yeah. I started uh, this baking class with a chef from New Zealand um, because I had a lot of free time. I was attending to an international high school and the, the, the class mm. work wasn't as intense. So I wanted, I was very intrigued. I always liked eating growing up, but because grandma does all the cooking, I mm-hmm, never mm-hmm. even sure. thought about cooking myself. Um, but I picked up baking and I realized how much I love it. It's something that was already in me and I was so mm. obsessed with it. Um, it's, I would just, that's basically all I could think about is baking, what kind of butter, what kind of eggs I'm sourcing and, um, you know, making different croissants and macarons every weekend with this, uh, with my teacher. Um, so yeah, I didn't, I didn't really get into the kitchen until I was 17 years old. Um, and then I went to the CIA where I picked up, uh, started going to the culinary side from the baking side. Before we get to the CIA, uh, you bring up an interesting point about, your grandma cooking and you thinking like the kitchen's hers. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get involved, but I know that your parents also cooked. So at some point there was, if not a handoff, at least a like parallel path of cooking in, in kitchens. When did you notice that your grandma and your parents are cooking for you? And when did you think it would be your turn to get in the kitchen? Um, I mean, I still, till this day, I still have no <laughs> space in the kitchen. I have no say. There's just not enough room for me. Um, You're like, but, I own restaurants, multiple restaurants. <laughs> and they're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Could could you go bake something for us, please? Yeah, they're like, okay, go watch TV and eat some fruits. <laughs> um, so it's it's yeah, it's interesting because everybody had their own job in the kitchen. So everybody had their have their um, signature dishes. And when uh, it comes to holiday season, everyone just stick to what they do the best. Mm-hmm. My grandpa is the rice maker. Um, my uncle, he does the hongshuaro, the red braised pork. Mm-hmm. Um, grandma does scallion pancakes and all the other things. My mom does kanji. So everybody just, it's always the same dishes that they cook every year. Mm-hmm. Um, but they just, you know, they take turn and then they do their things in the kitchen and then they get out. Um, the kids are just, we are, we can help feeling some garlic and stuff. Sure. They, we're sure. never needed. Never needed. If uh, there's some green beans you can snap, you can get to clean those. Sure. So, yeah. So, so you mentioned going to the CIA. Um, how did you first hear about it and what was the reputation and uh, what is your parents think about you going to new york to go to cooking school yeah because they definitely didn't pay all that money for me to go to a culinary school no man. Um, no i i mean back then I, and even till now culinary school is is not a college it's more like a vocational school mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um in china and there's no college that would provide you a bachelor's degree if you are majored in culinary arts in China. I was, um, I remember I was applying for school and I was going for marketing or um, communications, something along the advertising line. And, And I just couldn't stop picturing how miserable I will be in sitting in a cubicle and staring at a screen. And I thought, okay, well, instead of searching for schools, I would spend time looking for restaurants and new bakeries that's Mm -hmm. opening up that I can go Mm -hmm. visit during the weekend because it was a boarding school. And so I, so I thought, Oh, why don't I, um, I wonder if there's any culinary school that will give me a bachelor's degree Mm. in the U S and lo and behold, there's Johnson and Wales and there's, yeah. So I said, this is what I'm going to do. And I remember turning to my best friend who was sitting right next to me. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to do any of these. I'm done. I'm going to apply for culinary school. Uh, Yeah. And I went home that weekend. I told my parents about my plan and my dad is, he's always been um, supportive of, he's the one that says like, if you make you happy, if you think you can do good at it, go for it. And my mom took a little bit more convincing. Sure. So once you got to New York and you're at the CIA, what did you wind up cooking there? How much was a focus of it with Chinese food or was it mostly European, uh, you know, style cuisine? Yeah, definitely. Um, all the foundation is based on French cuisine. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a huge focus on Mediterranean, French, uh, modern American, um, but not a lot of emphasis on Asian cuisine at all, mm-hmm. let alone Chinese. We have three three days of class that focused on Chinese cooking. 
And and how many um, days of classes overall, just so people know? Um, it's a three year. Oh, the the cooking program is a two year program. Right. Okay. Just yeah. good to just good to know for relative sake. Right. Three days. Yeah. So we had three three whole days of of Chinese <laughs> cooking, and I had actually uh, taught some of the class, like some of the. T- three days i there was one day where i showed everyone how to do, make dumplings and right. there's another one um it was we made some chinese cabbage and stir fry dishes you're like but, am i gonna get some of my tuition back if i'm <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely not a lot of emphasis on chinese cuisine um and even till now i don't believe there there is so you're there in new york city which Almost every borough has an incredible Chinatown, whether Chinatown, New York, or in Flushing, or out in Brooklyn and um, Sunset area. Were you going out to eat? Were you homesick for the food you grew up with? How were you getting a taste of home? Yeah, I was definitely very um, against going to Chinatown when I first moved here. Mm. I thought I grew up with this type of food for the past 18 years i don't need to um, sure yeah I, I don't really need to experience so to speak and um that was definitely very kind of a arrogant way and it was not very um a, a limited thinking uh, sure. i guess i could say but we were yeah we were just um coming down to new york every basically every other weekend and we would go to all of these new american restaurants fine dining Mm. michelin stars french cuisine and it was so exciting to all of us um and you can imagine a group of young chefs going in new york and there was we were just in heaven we would like eat from 8 a.m until um midnight and then take a train back to high park but Mm. Um, it wasn't until after I moved to New York City after graduation, um, I started learning more about Chinatown and learning about the people that are mm-hmm, in it mm-hmm. and the history. And um, so I started appreciating it much more. Yeah, I mean, it's so deep. And I'm out in L.A. and the San Gabriel Valley is so deep as well with the amount of regional and very specific esoteric type of Chinese cooking that sometimes you just feel transported to, mm-hmm. to China um, yeah. or into the different regions. And I found the same in New York that the deeper, especially when you get to Flushing, when you really get into Queens, yeah, you're like, it's, it's an education in some ways, at least for me, at least for yeah. me. And it'd be like, I didn't know about this region. I didn't know about this food. Start talking to people and they're like, we do this as close to as we can at home. If we can't import it, then we grow it. And, mm-hmm. you know, we try to recreate the flavors of what we grew up with. Yeah, 100%. Um, all right, let's take a quick musical break. And when we get back, I want to talk to you about life right after culinary school, where you cooked, um, and how you got the first idea and started opening up the Mala Project. We have a song from the archives here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network. When she was four. Too soon to die 
Hello and welcome back to Snacky Tunes. We're with Amelie Kang, founder and CEO of the Mala Project. So you've graduated culinary school. You're back in the city. You've opened your heart and your stomach to Chinatown. Where were you cooking? Did you still gravitate to European cuisine and that fine dining? Because that's sort of where the success was or the financial, I don't want to say security, because financial security in the chef world is a bit of an oxymoron. But is that where you could get jobs, especially coming out, um, you know, with your, your bachelor's from the CIA? Yeah, I actually uh, was cooking during my externship, mm-hmm. um, during my third year in culinary school, my second year going into the third year in culinary school. Um, and I was cooking at Barbalude. But mm. I was only, I was on the um, Garmanger sure. station. So slicing deli meats, working with all the charcuterie. Um, not much action, but I would uh, help out as much as In I the could. Mix. Yeah. As, yeah, as they allow me. So I would stay overnight, um, help out with the events uh, so that the chefs are, are, um, you know, they, they would let me to stay over and I I try to learn as much as I can. And I tell them, you, you don't have to pay me until corporate came in and they said that you have to stop doing this. And I was like, OK, fine, I'll go home. <laughs> um, but I was there for um, I think it was six months or mm. was it seven months. And then I realized I was not going to go back to the kitchen. So. I actually returned mm. to CIA. We finished our management courses the last year uh, of our bachelor degree. And then I graduated and started looking for other positions within the restaurant. And I ended up taking a assistant manager job um, at this place called China Blue. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a Shanghainese restaurant in Tribeca. And I thought they were so audacious to do what they were doing it's a 3000 3, square foot space in tribeca of all places wow. very grand beautiful gorgeous space the owners they had um back then it was the only michelin one michelin star chinese restaurant in the city called cafe china um, love, and then they love cafe china one get, of my favorites legendary place legendary magical just pour me into a booth there i'll be there all night yeah absolutely um and they really ripened like uh they really um started this new like new school chinese trend um and they were there before anybody else was Mm -hmm. um they introduced service and nice interior nice music and nice decor on top of the food to cafe china and then they did the same thing with china blue so i took a job there and um started my i guess front of house journey you know you mentioned um an interesting part about the cia college which is the the business side of it because so many times a lot of these courses they're nine months they teach you how to cook and then they go, okay, go out into the world. And everyone's like, I'm going to run a business. But here you are, you have a real business education. You have the cooking chops. You're at this Michelin star restaurant that does Chinese food. And there's extra cost for that type of service, decor, um, 
and sort of re-education to people who may think of Chinese food as like a cheap, fast, not expensive experience. Did all these things start going into the idea of what your business could look like, of what your restaurant could look like? And did it give you that extra inspiration and push to start thinking about your first restaurant? I definitely got the sense of um, what kind of restaurant I wanted to build while I was in college, because looking at the restaurants in Chinatown and just the existing Chinese restaurants back then, um, I felt angry because mm. I thought all of these uh, people, they're, they're putting out the most delicious, wonderful food, but they don't realize customers are not going out just for the food anymore. They're going out for mm-hmm, the ambience. Mm-hmm, they're mm-hmm. going out for the music, what kind of connection you're building with the staff. Um, however, the, the, you know, the first gen immigrants, they, they just, they don't, they didn't have the resource or even the energy to think about all those things. All they knew was how to make the food delicious and putting it out out on the table um and i i was kind of upset by how um like one-dimensional the chinese restaurants were mm-hmm. in new york mm-hmm. um so i wrote my thesis on this chinese restaurant um that i wanted to open uh, for graduation and i i wanted to build a place where it's a place where you can go out and take a date. You can, mm. it's a place where you can have a business lunch um, and you would be proud of it. And not only you will get satisfied from the food, but just the overall 360 experience. Um, and going into China Blue, I definitely, that um, even more solidified that idea because mm-hmm. that's what they were doing and they were. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah, it wasn't enough cuz they were the only one. Um and then I thought, okay, I'm going to do this too. Um but I'll do I it my that. way. And I assume that thesis and those inklings is what eventually turned into Mala project. Yeah, absolutely. So, what was the process like in opening your first spot, especially not being from America, having this very unique point of view at least unique relative to like what was going on in new york city fine dining at the time or just restaurants at the time how did you convince people that you were enough of a sure investment and enough of like a safety that it wasn't that they can you know turn this into reality yeah so we put it was um two of my friends that i was working with at china blue um they had actually reached out to me when I uh, when I was leaving the job. They said, oh, if you are planning, if you ever want to open a restaurant, we would love to invest in you. And I thought, okay, cool. And then I said, okay, let's, why don't we do it now? And I talked to my mom. She put in some money. Um, and another childhood friend of mine, she was going to school at the NYU. So it was just four kids and my mom's money and we had a very such a tiny tiny budget um and i thought i can do this myself i had run some math and i saw i i can do this if i just do a lot of it myself sure Um, sure yeah and 
we just kind of went into it without thinking too much. I mean, is there is no better way to get your start in New York in anything than being like, I can put it all on my back. I don't know how hard it's going to be. And we'll just make it happen. And now here you are on the verge of opening up a fourth one. Um, how do you feel about the journey? How did you feel about opening the first one, first the second one, and the third one? When did you know that like you had grown enough? What? How did you feel? Yeah, I think with every single one so far, it's a completely different story, obviously. Um, but one thing that's been consistent is that every time we get to work, we are so focused on just getting the work done. And mm. it, there's no, not a lot of time or opportunity to say, okay, let me, let me look up and, and evaluate. Because <laughs> when sure. we opened the first one, it was just like, okay, let's find a space. Now is the construction. Now is um, getting the, you know, getting the, the licenses and everything just come piling up and you really don't have time to breathe, but to just keep going down the checklist. Um, and it's the same thing with the second and the third and mm. the fourth one. It's just, it's just a different, just different things on the checklist. So for myself, um, I, my checklist was going from, painting the walls to buying the plates for the first mm -hmm. location. A lot of the very um, hands-on, like the small uh, tasks to now, okay, let me find the manager. Let me um, set the KPI. So like the checklist mm -hmm. still there. It's just the actual tasks are different. Mm. Um, but definitely, I think we're very, very lucky to be able to, get to this point we're still a very small company um but we've grown very steadily we're we're going to be eight years old by the end of this year Incredible. um and we only have three and a half our fourth one isn't even open yet but we i can't be any more proud of the people we've met and the people we've served and the team we've built um, and everyone, we basically grew up together, all the managers and the servers, mm. they're still around and yeah. And it's my, my first checklist has become their checklist and mm. it's so, it's incredible to see everybody's growth. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of magical. I know one of the things you added to the checklist with the new location is a design team. You're bringing in Lauren Day yes. of Love is Enough, which in hearing how you opened the first one, which is like, let's get it open. Let's get the paint on the walls, let's get the plates. What made you want to bring in a full designer? What, what did you feel that you wanted to say with this one, with the layout or the vibe of it? that you didn't have a chance to say with your first three versions of the model project? Yeah, I definitely felt a little bit uh, trapped by doing all the interior and the construction stuff ourselves with the mm. previous three locations. Um, construction is such a time-consuming and mm -hmm, detail-oriented mm -hmm. 
task that if if you decided to do your own design and your own build out yourself, then for that eight to 12 months, that's all you're going to be doing. Um, and when we planned for our fourth location, I knew that I cannot spend another year to focus on construction and design. Um, I also knew <laughs> that I just didn't have the I, I didn't have the eye to hmm. bring sure. in another, you know, um, aesthetically pleasing mala project. That I, I, we need to, because each location we're trying to bring in different life and fit it into the neighborhood. And um, we want to keep surprise people. Um, and I knew that I, I wasn't going to be able to do that. And I think we, it was pretty pretty clear that it was time to bring in a professional who we can learn from and let the professional do their their thing oh i love it i mean that's the beauty of growth is you get to bring in professionals to do their thing while you get to guide it from what you've built as well and And admire it admire it yes and be like you don't know where all the cracks are painted over you can be like oh this just looks really pretty because i I wasn't here hammering all the nails and screwing all the screws. Um, Eight years in, you've built this incredible restaurant group, and it seems like you've changed the perception and added to what people think about Chinese food in the city and, and, and beyond New York City. But then you've also built this incredible work culture and the way that people do business. How do you see them going hand in hand how do you feel about the changes that you've made in the perceptions from the customers and, and the people that you work with? Yes, we focused on our team first. And I knew that if we are taking care of our own people well, they're going to be able to take care of their customers well. Mm-hmm. Um, we spend so much time with each other in a restaurant. You end up you know, becoming friends with each other. You be- end up dating each other maybe <laughs> um and we just have to make sure that everybody uh, can have a good time together um and it really did happen organically and i'm very proud of this this really a delicate culture that m- me and the team created together they ended up you know they're treating each other the same way they treat the customers Mm. um and the customers can feel that because i don't think okay no matter what the business book says no matter what the you know how much you look into the the numbers at the end of the day this is human to human interaction um and people can feel it from the way that you talk to them, what your energy level is like and how you are. And people can see um, how you're interacting with each other. So very often I hear stories like some of our, our, our team members went out after shift and uh, with our customers mm. and they, the customers are inviting them to their parties. And that's so cool. Yeah. And it's, it's not, it's not hard. It's precious. The fact that we're able to do that, but it's not hard to do it. You just need to treat each other like human beings and, you know, like friends. And that's basically what we've been advocating with our staff. Um, 
So even till today, we have a very transparent, um, I guess, way of communication. If Mm -hmm. we want to uh, implement some sort of policy, if we want to um, uh, make some sort of growth plan, we just make it very clear to the entire team, like it's just um, uh, another update with our friends. Um, And so far, I think it's been paying off really well. Amazing. Listen, I know people can't see the smile on your face at home, but just seeing you talk about the customers and the people and everything you built, it's it's so great to see. And and before we go, I want to make sure that we talk about a little bit the vibe and atmosphere at Mala Project, because when you walk in, it's such a great feeling. Um, what can people expect when they come in, especially like what can they hear on the stereo? Like what's a night look like at the restaurants? Yeah, so each location is different. Obviously, mm-hmm. if you come to our East Village location on a weekend night, it's there's loud music and dim lights and just spicy dry puff lying around. It's mm-hmm. there's a lot of action. Um, but if you come in a uh, uh, in the afternoon um, to any of the locations, it's quite relaxing and you can have a really nice um, private conversation with a really close friends um, and the music we put a lot of we actually um, are implementing new playlists uh, we used to play <laughs> all uh, you know the 90s Chinese mm-hmm. music to, to set the vibe and now we're trying to play with different types of music and different types of genre um, so the music is kind of setting the tone for the Hmm. ambience as well. Um, And you can see from the customers that's sitting inside of the restaurant, it it is really all sorts of people are here. Um, You can see couples on a romantic date. Uh, You can Hmm. see family with little kids and their grandparents. Uh, You can see business people in their suit and tie um, just at different times throughout the day. And I think... You know, that's the magic of Mala Project. It's you can find your favorite dry pot and you can find your spot within the restaurant. I love it. Well, Amelie, congratulations. Looking forward to seeing the final design and the launch of the new spot in Greenpoint. If people want to come to the restaurant or follow along with your adventures or check out some of your YouTube videos, because I believe is the scallion pancake you're making in the video, your grandma's recipe? Yes, just not as good as the one she does. Of course. On, <laughs> on, the, on the record, grandma, it's not as good as yours. It's just my attempt. But um, if they want to follow along, where can they go? Where can they check out all your stuff? Um, I'm on Instagram at Amelie Kang. Um, we're also um, on Instagram as Mala Project as a business. Amazing. Well, listen, thank you so much. Thank you to Skylar and Ashley for setting this up. We have a song from the archives and then a live performance here on Snacky Tunes on Heritage Radio Network. that funny what you do to me you're my honey as far as i can see 
And you told me that you found someone new. Ain't it funny what time can do? That funny. Ain't that funny? What you do? What you do? It ain't that funny. Cause I'm so blue. I could love a million girls or two, but I'll never be over you. Money, a car or two, I'd pay your rent. Well, I'd even steal for you. I could break the law, commit a crime or two. Ain't it funny what love can do? Yeah, ain't that funny? Ain't that funny? What you do? What you do? It ain't that funny. Cause I'm so blue. I could. Win a million bucks or two, but I'll never be over you. Oh, one more time, Johnny. I'm gonna hit. Every bar in this doggone town have a smoke, pop a pill or two, drink some whiskey and eat a big old steak too. Ain't it funny what love can do? Yeah, ain't that funny? Ain't that funny? What you do? What you do? It ain't that funny, cause I'm so blue. I could drink a million beers or two, but I'll never be over you. I think I'll have a drink with a girl named Sue, but I'll never be over you. My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. Dead Stars, welcome to Snacky Tunes. Thanks hey, guys. Hey, what's up? Not much. How are you guys surviving? The uh, how, How's the first half of the show go for you guys? It was good. It was yeah. good. We didn't have to do anything, so that's always that's easy. You know, just listen. Come in. Hang out. We'll, we'll throw you a little uh, some questions about barbecue. Right on. So you guys uh, want to go around the room, do a little intro? Sure. Uh, I'm Jeff. I play guitar. I'm John. I play bass. I'm Jay, and I play the drums. And uh, where are you guys all from? Uh, Jay and I originally are from Jacksonville, Florida, but oh. we've lived here, um, I don't know, 10 plus years, and 
John's from Albuquerque, New Mexico, and all over, really. I got an ex-girlfriend from Jacksonville. Oh, yeah? You. you want to play that game? <laughs> yeah, I think we all do. <laughs> oh, okay. We can, play, we can play it afterwards. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ex- your girlfriend should never be in the current form from Jacksonville. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, how'd you guys meet? Uh, well, he and I are cousins, so oh. we met Our basically at birth. Our parents introduced us when we were babies. Nice. Yeah. And you're like, I like your style, kid. Yeah, I was like, man, you're really cool for like a zero year old. Who picked up uh, instruments first? Uh, I don't know. I think we kind of did at the same time. Yeah, really, yeah. I don't know. Maybe I started. I think I started playing guitar when I was like eight or nine, and then stopped for a few years. Yeah, he got a guitar first, but I I remember when I was five getting one of those toy drum sets that was that looked like a real drum set, <laughs> right. but it was you know you know just like a an aluminum, and I'd always bang my mom. Well, that sounds bad. I would always bang my mom. <laughs> <laughs> my mom wasn't. Let me rephrase that. My mom was an artist, and she had a lot of canvases, and I'd always take her paintbrushes. And perform drum type. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that didn't make sense either. On the canvases, not my mom. Okay, yeah. And John. Uh, no more questions. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on to John here. John. Yeah, we met John kind of through a mutual friend. And when Jay and I were putting the band together, you know, we were looking for a bass player. But we were mainly looking for someone that we could hang out with that was cool. And we met John. And we're like, all right, this guy's awesome. So, what's that? What's that situation like? Like, did you guys just get drinks together first, or did you jam first? I think we drank first. Yeah, I was, just, I was, yeah. I was tending bar at a, a restaurant that no longer exists. It was called Santa Fe. Then became a Lote. Oh great. yeah, right on uh, Union. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which that is, place. Yep, yeah, which is right down the street from his Jeff's apartment at the time. And <clears throat> Jay and I knew each other, and he was like, "Hey, you want to join our band?" I'm like, yeah. So bring Jeff in, and then Jeff and Jay came into the bar while I was working. Unbeknownst to me, they were actually really nervous, as nervous to meet me as I was to meet them. Even though I'd met him before. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it always funny when dudes get nervous meeting each other? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think girls don't understand, because I think there's a lot of pressure for dudes to get new friends or to start projects with yeah, other dudes. Yeah, it's hard to make new friends. But I wanted them to know I was, I was like a rockin' dude. You know, oh, yeah. I was rockin' dudes. <laughs> Serving, like, margaritas and, like, $3 tacos. Exactly. Yep. Did, you, uh, did you do, like, an air shred for them when they walked in? <laughs> no, I had to play fucking cool. Oh, I say that? Sorry. Lots yeah. of free yeah. drinks helped. Oh, yeah. Free yeah. drinks. Like, I got this. And then after they left, like, thanks, I'm so months. sorry. Here, I'll cover their tab. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they're probably just like, oh, yeah, that like, dude, all those free drinks. Yeah, that guy's cool. They might be my new exactly. band. Yeah, yeah. It's all yeah. we really were looking for is uh, another guy who's a bartender. So, so yeah. Jeff didn't have to hook us up. He hooked yeah. me up all the time. And we yeah. needed to get hooked up. <laughs> and when was this? When did you guys form? Uh, like 2009, somewhere cool. around there. Yeah. Um, all right, well, let's, uh, let's hear a song, and then we'll get into the new EP and all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what are you going to play for us first? Uh, we're going to play this song that we actually heard at the top of the show, acoustic version, of course, but uh, a song called Waste Away. Awesome. All right, here we go, live on Snacky Tunes. Pull you out into 
Great. I love an acoustic bass. <laughs> Usually people just forego the bass when they come and play on the show because I don't think that many people play. I don't think many people own an acoustic bass. That's, I think, is more the yeah, case. Yeah, I guess it's rare to see an owner. Yeah. I inherited this from a friend of ours. Oh, yeah. They stopped making them in 99. Yeah, yeah I think that's so. it. Yeah. No one's making new acoustic basses. <laughs> we exactly. do. I've uh, worked with Martin Guitars and they have like a line of acoustic basses and I had never actually. They're all vintage. No, they make some new ones, but I, I'd seen some... We're uh, trying to riff here. Yeah, okay, sorry. Yeah, I mean, they've got uh, Kurt Cobain, like, face Kurt played Kurt Oh, my God. Well, no. Kurt Neversellic. No, I know. I'm just saying it's, like, just a time-dated. Yeah. <laughs> Semisonic. Yeah, friend of ours. Actually, yeah. the guy that has the barbecues that take a long time, oh, yeah. his brother <laughs> Wait, yeah. gave us that. Really? But, He's yeah. from the what? 90s. Yeah. I feel like barbecues inherently take a long time to get going. Yeah, yeah. I don't mm-hmm. mind that. I like hanging around and drinking. Yeah. I like them to laugh. Like, I don't want to get to a barbecue and immediately eat. Yeah, uh, no. a, yeah. But how did he end up uh, giving you the base? I think he just gave it to Yeah, him. I mean, he, he, <laughs> he said, here, here's an acoustic <laughs> yeah, bass. Yeah, His brother gave it to him, and he didn't use it. And he was like, hey, do you want an acoustic bass? We're like, yeah, sure. nice guy. Well, we have, we've had just a couple stories of people getting gifted their instruments mm-hmm. uh, on the show, and it's what, usually a little bit not as basic as that story, but it's just like it's like here, here's this thing that's taking up way too much space that I can't even like break out and play at a party. So no, I think the right. craziest one was uh, Moon Hooch. You got those two insane yeah. these guys saxophones got like, that they built their entire sound around. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah. 
Uh, so you guys formed together in 2009, mm-hmm. and then when did you know that you guys were all cool enough to be in a band together? Like, when did it all gel? Um, I don't know. From day one. No, I don't know. Yeah. No, That's I true. Mean, we, we really, we vibe right away. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, I mean, like I said, he and I have known each other forever, so it was just bringing one more person into the fold, and we all got along, so, and musically, it just kind of worked. Like, we're all definitely on the same page as far as, like, influences and stuff like that so it was really easy knew what we were trying to sound like going into it so that was made it easier yeah. to kind of work together instead of you know i want to play like this no i want to play like that yeah i mean it's like the same similar ideas what, who are your influences what do you guys want to be like or i mean like? it's, it's not that we wanted to be like anything it's just kind of that's what we ended up sounding like when we all got together but i mean you know we get compared a lot to like dinosaur jr pavement like definitely a lot of early 90s stuff like hence the bass yeah exactly <laughs> hence the bass. so that'd be a good band name hence, hence the, the bass, bass. Yeah. what type yeah. of music would that be <laughs> early <laughs> early 90s i don't know i think it'd be like dubstep like no something. it'd be like like humpty hump or yeah whatever like hence the bass volume one right volume <laughs> it has more like a mumford and sons kind of yeah, I don't know if it'd be, no, it be, be a band name, more like an album. Dead Cam yeah. Dance. Yeah. And so you guys have the new EP that's coming out, right? Or it's out. Came yeah, out it's actually out. It came out Tuesday. Congratulations. Uh, thanks. Thanks a lot. How does it feel six days in? Is it a boy or is it a girl? It's yeah. definitely a hermaphrodite. It has all ten yeah. fingers and toes. Yeah. Okay. We love it just Yeah, just we love it just, just for No, it's good. Uh, yeah, it came out on this local label here called Uninhabitable Mansions. Yeah, tell us about the label. Oh, uh, it's... It's a great label. I mean, it's small. They got good distribution. Uh, it's run by our friends in this band called Radical Dads, and they're that's a, that's another. A good, am- that's a good '90s name too. Yeah, so. they're an amazing band too, yeah. and super great people. And uh, so, yeah, they put it out, and we're really psyched about that. And uh, it's been going good. Uh, a lot of good reception so far. So, shout out to Dana Gurley actually. For hooking yeah, us up. definitely. And how was EP release show? It was good. It rained so hard that night because it what? was on Friday. Oh. Right? But it was actually a packed show. A lot of people came out, which was surprising. I thought, like, well, once you get them there, there, they're not leaving. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they, they, no matter how bad we play, they couldn't leave. It's not like a barbecue. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and exactly. apparently, yeah, if you want to, if you want to schedule your barbecue, make sure you do it on a day we're not playing because that's guaranteed to be to be sunny. But if we're playing a show, it's going to rain. Oh my god! Oh my god! We had the same. We actually had a four-year curse of these barbecues that we do. We're in our sixth year. That like it would be like beautiful and then the one day like there was last year there was those two hailstorms perfectly a month apart both fell on our uh, on our hey, barbecues I, I guarantee you we were playing shows on and all we had days, and we had years. we had to to the point where we moved it's five years on wednesday so this year we're like we're moving it to tuesdays because right. we just need to know that being said we moved it to tuesdays supposed to rain tomorrow night and be sunny on Wednesday. Well, I mean, I feel you. No, I feel you, though, because, like I said, we played Friday at rain, and then Saturday and Sunday it didn't rain, and then here it is Monday, and we're doing something again, and it's raining. We need to just uh, coordinate our schedules because... And then sell those magical powers. Yeah. Well, it's like, we just need to go to, like, hit the Midwest where there's droughts and just be like, we will come and (laughs) throw a barbecue, and they'll play a show, and it'll all be good. Uh, uh, Let's hear hear another song. Yeah, all right. Hold on, wait, it just started raining. Did it really? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> uh, what are you going to play for us? Mm, I don't know, what do you guys want to play next? Staring at the sun. Alright, we'll do it's that. It's another song. Yeah. Alright, here we go, yeah. Dead Stars Live on Heritage Radio Network. <clears throat> Staring at the sun. 
Thank you. It's great. Nice. So when you just like, do your families be like, "How's your guys' band?" Or do they have like, do they demean it for a while ever? Like, no. Well, see, it's funny because sometimes you'll tell them something about the band, and then they're like, "Oh, that's cool," and you can tell they don't really get it or care. <laughs> right. But then, like, we just had a tune. Uh, in USA Today the other day and you tell them something like that and then they think you're famous. Yeah, they think you're opening yeah. Madison Square Garden next yeah. week. That's like, that's like, like which the... Which paper? Save the article. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, no, it's not in print. Yeah. <laughs> that's like the New Yorker, um, New York Times thing for like like the litmus test for people. It's like your parents like don't really get what you... Uh, what you do here until you're like, oh, it's like, oh, I was mentioned in the yeah. New Yorker at the time. They're like, oh, yeah. Oh, so your little pizza thing's working, huh? Yeah. <laughs> have, have you guys played any family reunions? No. We played a few weddings to our, to our chagrin, I guess. We have. Oh, yeah. We did. Uh, so uh, how what's life on the road like with you guys? Do you guys van? Yeah, bus? we have a van. It's uh, a really old van. Probably everyone's seen it before. It's completely tagged the shit, and it's like, oh really? It's actually yeah. it's an urban installation art piece. It really is. Yeah, a, it's it's, a, it needs to go to the Smithsonian when we're done with what, it. What's the food situation on the road with you guys? Uh, I don't know. Like, Not good. <laughs> you, you know, you either uh, either go to get some fast food, or there's been times where we'll get like a styrofoam cooler. And you put a bunch of ice in it, and you go to the grocery store, and you buy some turkey, you buy some cheese bread and then you make sandwiches but then usually by the end of the day it's just like sludgy ice turkeys <laughs> everywhere and then you gotta get those everywhere. freezer packs yeah exactly it's also it's, it's like it's roy rogers if we don't make a lot of money at a certain venue yeah. and it's applebee's if we you know pack the house oh, yeah, we, oh. we love going to applebee's and like ordering shots at yeah, the like if little you, weird if you've tables left new york there. there's not a lot of few choices in between yeah, yeah, yeah. the major cities unfortunately what's, what's your uh, meal choice of the old applebee's Mm. I like. I used to like their artichoke dip. Oh, the thing! I remember last time I had it, it tasted like a <laughs> like a pile of salt. <laughs> I like I like the sweet and salty dipping sauces. Oh yeah, those are really good. They have big giant beers. I remember that. That was probably the best. And all that fake memorabilia on the walls of like photographs of like the local towns and right. shenanigans. Bennigan's is way better than Applebee's though, but there's not too many of them left. No. And that's got to be like a really good. I think there's night. one in Jersey, like right over the <laughs> yeah. George Washington <laughs> Bridge. Yeah, I think Jersey is one of every yeah. ever like a Sizzler yeah. and yeah, whichever's left of Roy Rogers and no whatnot. <laughs> Medieval times. It's a museum of every restaurant that ever existed. So <laughs> now that the EP's out, what are the summer plans? Uh, well, we've got a bunch of shows coming up. We're playing Northside Festival this coming weekend. Hopefully it's not outside. Yeah, no, it's not. Uh, Rippers? Yeah, we're playing Rippers uh, August 10th. They oh, nice. Re- they rebuilt it. Yeah, uh, amazing. Yeah, so... so we're gonna stronger that. than the storm. That's going to be cool. And then we have a show July 31st at Glasslands. But basically, in between all that, we're going to start working on songs for a full length. Right. And try to record that sometime in October. That's gonna be great. Yeah, so like that and a couple barbecues and yeah, yeah, play yeah. some shows, barbecues, work Some, on new tunes. Summer, summer. Yeah. Uh, well, we want to make sure we have time to have one more song, but uh, okay. we want to give people the nuts and bolts where they can find you guys, buy the EP, etc. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you can get the EP. It's called High Gain. You can get it on iTunes. You can also get it through our Bandcamp page, which is deadstars.bandcamp.com. I love Bandcamp. Yeah, it's awesome. It's right? like it. It does exactly what it's supposed to do. Yeah. 
And which is, I feel like I shouldn't have to say that, but it's like, it's just perfect for what Yeah, it and is. it's a bunch of different formats, which yeah. is cool. Um, but yeah, also, you can go to our Facebook page, uh, check us out, like it, do all that crap. But um, facebook.com slash deadstarsmusic, or you can just search it. Right? Instagram, no, Twitter, any of that we should, uh, Yeah, we got Instagram. It's all Dead Stars Music. Instagram, Dead Stars Music, Twitter. We should get uh, Radical Dads on the show. Yeah, man. Yes. That would be rad. I think we, we, can, we can help you out Yeah, that. and talk about the label and have them play. Yeah, for sure. Cool. That'd be great. All right. Well, thanks for listening. We are out next week. We'll be heading back from Bonnaroo. Uh, the bond. Yes. I don't, I'm trying to make that catch on, but I don't think it's going to I don't happen. think it's going to catch on. The Bond? Nope. <laughs> so we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Please make sure to come by the barbecue tomorrow night. Yeah, bbqblowoutjune.eventbrite.com for $10 tickets. You get, you get to meet us. One of us will be working the door. So yeah, no, thanks for having us. Yeah, yeah thanks, thanks for, a lot, guys. This is a great guy. And, thank you. Snacky tunes. And as always, thank you to Dana and Girly Action yeah, for being definitely. so... Shout out to Absolutely. Heritage. Shout out to Roberta's. Shout, shout out to Rippers, actually. Shout out. Yeah, Rippers. Yeah. Good it's job. Rippers. Well done. I don't know if it's done. And, All right. What, uh, what are you going to take us out with? Uh, we're going to play a song called No Sympathy. Okay, great. Live on Snacky Tunes. Dead Stars. When you stay at home with your favorite bone can hear the whispering There's no place to hide When you can't decide But you feel no sympathy There's no sympathy You're so sick
Snacky Tunes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.